We're in this series called Thrive, and, and as we look specifically at our relationships, now remember, um, as we began this series, I, I shared with you just openly, uh, the reason I began this series is because our marriages are in trouble in the church, not outside the church, in the church. Relationships are in trouble in the church, not outside the church. And so we began this series looking at uh, the biblical picture of how we should do relationships and, and get, get gaining insight into how we should relate to those closest to us, especially our husbands and wives. And we began in Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but blessed is the man who delights himself in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. Be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. Now that, the truth of, of that passage really needs to seep into our soul and, and, and transform the way we live. Uh, so we, we uh, as we look at, at, at that foundation for flourishing, uh, then we move to Colossians chapter 3, where Paul is very specific and talking about relationships, uh, relationships that spring from a, a new life we have in Christ. That's Colossians 3, 1 through 4. And then verses 5 through 11, um, uh, Paul begins to describe the things that we need to get rid of. We need to, we need to remove the toxic from our life. There are toxic things in our relationships that we need to get rid of, and, and we're the ones who are doing the toxic things. There are desires that need to be abandoned and, and emotions, abusive emotions and, and words. And we're going to come back to words today. And then we looked at, at uh, Colossians 3, beginning verse 12, uh, and verse 17, 12 through 17, we saw that there are certain life-giving ingredients of love that we need to pour into our relationships. Uh, then uh, we looked at the issue of forgiveness. And that came from Ephesians chapter 4, verse 32, where we looked at uh, how we are to forgive even as God in Christ also forgave us. Um, that as dearly loved children, we are to live a life of love just as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice, sweet-smelling aroma to God. And, and that's how we're supposed to forgive others as God in Christ also forgave us. Now, today we're looking at communication and uh, our relationships in the marriage, our relationships with each other will thrive only as we communicate in a way that honors God. See, the way we communicate to each other matters. The way, the way we talk matters. The things we say matter. Uh, the words we use matter to God. God cares about what we are saying. And we need to do all that we can to make sure that our words honor and please Him. Now, if you remember, we, we, we understand that, that the core value that we have as followers of Christ is that we live for God's honor and fame. We live to glorify Him. That's, that's core ingredient of who we are. That's, that's who we are as followers of Christ. But, but as we looked again, Colossians 3 there are certain expectations that God has on us. We're new creatures in Christ, and, and we, have the, we have this glorious freedom in God's grace. But that freedom is not a license to live any way we want to live, but it's rather a responsibility 
that God plants upon us. Do you realize that if you're a follower of Christ, God demands that you live a certain way? You realize that, yes? That, that there is an expectation that God has for us. Not that I have for you or that you have for me, but rather the expectation that God has for you and that God has for me. That raises the game a lot. And he has these expectations in our relationships and even in our closest relationships. So as we consider what those expectations are, let's just remind ourselves that God has an expectation for what we say and how we say it. That matters to God. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 29, our passage today, the Apostle Paul writes, Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but only that which is good for necessary edification, so that it might impart grace to its hearers. Now, we're going to break that apart, and then we're going to bring some application into our relationships. But, but as we look at this passage, let's, let's remember that this is, this is an, a mandate. It's not a request. It's not a suggestion. This is a command. Uh, let, let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth. That is a command. Again, not a suggestion, but a command. Now, why would Paul give that command? Because he understood that what we say and how we say it matters to God. Oh, there are many passages that we're going to look at today, and I know I'm going to overload you a little bit with verses. So uh, if you want to follow along with those verses, don't try to look them up in your copy of Scripture. Just jot them down, and I'll try to say them twice so that you have time to jot them down, and I'll try not to get in a hurry, uh, even though you're looking at the clock. I'm not, so I will try not to get in a hurry. Uh, but you'll hold on, all right? So there are two passages uh, per, perhaps Paul was thinking of, of at least one of these when he was talking about communication, talking about the words that we say. In, in Psalm chapter 19, verse 14, the psalmist says, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. That's Psalm 19, verse 14. Now you think about that. Paul's saying, hey, listen, we need to let no corrupt word proceed out of our mouth. Why? Because God requires for us to use words that are acceptable to him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. So here's the question. Does that even come into the playbook of your conversations? Are you concerned at all whether your words are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord? They must if you're a follower of Christ. And Jesus kind of brings it home a little bit more poignantly in Matthew chapter 12. In Matthew chapter 12, Jesus is talking to Pharisees, and he's, uh, he, he's not saying kind things to the Pharisees, let me just or what He was saying very confrontive things. They were, they were kind in the economy of God's business, but, but they were very confrontive. And, and here's what he said to them. Matthew chapter 12, beginning verse 34. He said, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good words. And the evil person, 
out of the treasure of his evil heart brings forth evil words. Then verse 36, I tell you, Jesus said, I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. Did y'all hear that? I had that. Just think about that for a second. People will give an account of every careless word they speak. Friends, what you say matters to God. Okay? So, how, how do we begin to break through Ephesians 4.29 and begin to uh, adjust our words and our conversations to match that which is acceptable to God? Well, Paul gives us insight. Ephesians 4.29, he, he begins, he says, hey, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. You know what he's saying? He says, stop using rotten words. Just stop using rotten words. The, the, the picture of corrupt or corrupting words, that's rotten words. Words that are useless, decaying, dead, and even death-dealing. If you put a, a rotten apple in a barrel of apples, what happens to the other apples? Now, they would get rotten anyway, but the rot on one apple kind of speeds up the rot of the other apples. There's death-dealing decay, and, and Paul is painting a picture of that kind of death-dealing decay that our words can have. They, they're corrupting words. They're, they're, they're death-dealing words. They're, they're words that, that uh, push down and don't pull up. The, the truth is, those rotten words include deceitful words, words that hold no truth, malicious words. Words intended to hurt or harm somebody else. Rash words, emotionally driven words that have, have, uh, don't have Christ as the goal or the aim or glorifying God as the goal or the aim. You just want to vent your spleen. Y'all know about venting your spleen? Is that, is that a metaphor anybody else is familiar with or is that just me? It, it's where you just, you just decide you're going to go off and you're going to... Cut this big, wide swath of, of vitriol, and you're going to carry anybody else in your path that you can because you're upset and you're frustrated or you're mad or you're hurt. And so you're just going to be ugly. Can I tell you that the way Paul describes this and the way Jesus is described in Matthew 12, verse 36, do you realize that we don't get a pass just because our emotions are involved? We, we don't have a loophole where we get permission to use rotten words. Neither you nor I. We, we don't get a loophole. I know that there are times when, we, boy, I'm so frustrated. I'm so upset. I'm so mad. I want to I wanna just chew their heads off, right? But I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And as a follower of Jesus Christ, I don't get to just do what I want to do. And I don't get to say what I want to say. Uh, you remember what it was like growing up in a family, I'm sure. I, I, again, I grew up around a bunch of boys. And, and you know, we, we talked to each other with rotten words. We had a smile on our face when we did it. 
But it, it was just talking to each other in rotten words. And, and, and I know that my, my brother, he, he, he's the mean, my older brother, he's, still, he's the mean one. He's still mean. and He still uses rotten words toward me. Talks about my bald spots and that kind of thing. He says it to hurt me. It doesn't. Except for the fact that he has a full head of hair. That's a little frustrating. But you know, you know what that's like. You, you're, you're in a conversation and, and, and somebody pushes your button, so you're going to punch them with your words. But you don't get a loophole to do that. I don't get a loophole to do that. I don't have permission to use rotten words, abusive words, hurtful words, malicious words, just because somebody did that to me. Or somebody made me feel a certain way. Do you realize that? We don't get a loophole. When Paul writes, let no corrupt word, none, zero, there, he gives us no out. There is no opportunity for us to use our words in a way that hurt another. So he's saying, stop using rotten words. And then he says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. And then he adds the but. But that which is good, beneficial, for necessary edification, that it might impart grace to its hearers. So what's Paul saying? He said, stop using rotten words. And so secondly, he says, we need to build up with our words. Use only the words that will build others up. Now, use only words that build others up. Do you, do you see the language there? Because this is important. The language is important. The words mean something. And this is God's word, so it means everything. So we need to take seriously what God's word says. Let no corrupt word, none, zero, proceed out of your mouth. There are no loopholes. But only words, only words that are good for necessary edification, that they might impart grace to her. Here's, you know, Paul's really just saying this. If your words aren't building up, then they're rotten words. There's no third category. There's no neutral ground. You might say, well, you're just taking one verse and building a case for that. Well, we'll see. <laughs> no, it is, it is throughout Scripture, especially in Proverbs. My goodness. You only have words that fall into one of two categories. Either they're rotten or they're building up. The question is, how are you using your words? How am I using my words? We need to use our words in a way that build others up. Is that a picture of your words? In fact, one of the things that Paul was doing here was, if you look up in verse 26, he said, stop lying to each other. Why would he say that? Well, because he, he knows that lying is, you know, those are rotten words. They're, those are not words that are going to build up. They're only going to tear down. He's saying, hey, listen, we need to guard the relationship. We can have a revolution in our communication if we stop using rotten words and use only words that build others up. Building others up for a purpose, that they might impart grace to the hearers. Do you realize that you and I have the opportunity to empower others with our words? That God will use our words as an avenue to favor another, to empower another. 
toward what God wants. You realize that our words need to be used in a way that builds people up so that God's grace might pour through our words into their hearts. Those are words that are pleasing and acceptable to the Lord. And the question is, are those a reflection of my words? See, the the great test for us, when we talk to each other here, when we talk in the grand lobby, when when we go home and we're at the dinner table, or when we're at our work, or when we're in our relationships, meaningful relationships, the great test is, are my words rotten? Or are they building up? Remember, God's expectation is that your words will be acceptable to him. And the only acceptable words, not the rotten words, the words that build up. So how does this verse apply to our most meaningful relationships, our marriages and and, uh, our children and our parents and and our, our close and special friends? Well, the first thing that we need to see is kind of a a retelling of what we've already said, and that is our words have the power of life and death. You can kill your marriage with your words. It's just that simple. You can destroy relationships with your words. You can derail a church with your words. Your words have great power, great power. Now, as followers of Christ, obviously our goal is to be acceptable to God. And so our words should reflect life and not death. Some verses, and we're starting down this road where I'm going to give you some verses, okay? Uh, So break out those pens or uh, whatever. All right, so... uh, Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. Proverbs chapter 11, verse 9. With their words, the godless destroy their friends. But knowledge will rescue the righteous. With their words, the godless destroy their friends. Proverbs 11, 9. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 6. The words of the godly save lives. The words of the godly save lives. And Proverbs 18, verse 21. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. Here's the category for us. Are my words life-giving or death-dealing? Now, in our relationships, in in our marriages, we need to really take this to to heart because uh, part of our struggle is that we have spent so much time using death-dealing words with our spouses that that we have dismantled um, intimacy and, and community and fellowship and even friendship. We're just surviving in this relationship. But if we turn it around and we use our words in a way that is acceptable to God, which is life-giving, then we bring rescue to our relationships. We bring rescue to our marriages. I know you think maybe I'm overstating the power of our words, but I don't think so. 
not biblically, and, and not even personally. You know, words are powerful. Your words have the power of life or death. How are you using them? How are you using them in your relationships and in your marriage? Before you say anything, husbands, wives, before you just tell that husband everything that you got going on in your gut and you just want to kind of lash out, and before you do it, I know you want to do it, but before you do it, ask yourself the question, is this life or is this death? Are my words life or are my words death? Are my words cutting and slashing like a sword or are they bringing wholeness and health and healing? Are my words rotten or are they building up? If you're looking for a third category, chances are you've already fallen into the rotten trap. You hear what I'm saying? If you're looking for that third category, well, you know, I don't think they're rotten. I don't feel like they're rotten, but they're definitely not building up. Well, you've probably already gone into the rotten trap. Oh, we'll, look, we'll look smart. All right, so, so life or death. All right, now let's, let's look at what these words look like from Proverbs. All right, so first, it's life or death. Secondly, they, they need to be truthful words. Again, Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, he said, stop lying to each other. Putting away lying, don't deceive each other anymore. For you are all members of one body. All right, so, so we need to stop lying to each other. Our words need to be filled with truth. Here's the thing. We need, we, we have this bucket of lies that we've been, we've been drowning our relationships in. We need to pour that bucket of lies out. And we need to fill that bucket back up with truth. We need to tell truth to our husbands. We need to tell truth to our wives. We need to be truthful. And you might say, well, I don't want to tell the whole truth. Well, then you're telling a whole lie, a half-truth. You know what a half-truth is? It's a whole grown-up lie. Do you know a little white lie? That is a full-grown bad lie. It's deceit. I'm only going to give partial truth, half-truth. No, in your marriage, you don't have the luxury of giving half-truths or partial truths. We've got to tell the whole truth. You've got to pour out the bucket of lies and fill it up with truth because that's where intimacy comes. You've got to be honest. It's not just Ephesians 4.26. Again, Proverbs is filled, I mean, listen, filled with verses that talk about the dangers of deceit, in our relationships, and the power of truth. So as you're looking at this, I, I've only given us two. I'm only going to give us two. Uh, Proverbs chapter 12, verses 17 through 20. Proverbs chapter 12, verses 17 through 20. Now listen to this. The sage writes, Whoever speaks the truth gives honest evidence, but a false witness utters deceit. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts, but the tongue of the wise brings whole, wholeness or healing. Truthful lips endure forever, but a lying tongue is just for a moment. Deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil, but those who plan 
peace, have joy. And then Proverbs chapter 14, verse 25. A truthful witness saves lives, but one who breathes out lies is crooked to the core. Proverbs 14, 25. Hey, listen, I know that it's uh, maybe unpopular at times for you to speak the truth, but you've got to. In your closest relationship, you've got to speak the truth and not deceit. All right? So your words have to be truthful. Communication needs to be truthful. Third, are our words necessary? Necessary. Uh, here's the thing about truth. Some of us have, have uh, uh, spent all our time saying, I'm just telling the truth while we're just pounding people in the head. I mean, I'm all about truth, and that's why I'm beating you upside the head. Do you realize that the test of whether it is necessary to say what we want to say, the test is not whether it's true. The test is whether it is edifying. Go back to Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth except that which is good for necessary edification. The test for us saying what we want to say is that it builds up others, not that it's true. Truth is vitally important, but you don't always need to say what's on your mind. You realize that, yes? Just because you're thinking it doesn't mean you need to say it. In fact, the writer in Proverbs tells us, teaches us that we, we need to do a better job at looking at whether or not what we're saying is necessary. Proverbs uh, chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. Proverbs chapter 17, verses 27 and 28. I love this verse. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge. And he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. Here it is, verse 28. Even a fool who keeps silent is considered wise. When he shuts his mouth, he is deemed intelligent. You realize that not everything we no needs to be said or not everything that we feel needs to pass across our lips. And the test is not, well, I feel this way, therefore I must say this thing. That's not the test. The test is, I feel this thing, but really, it's what I want to say, build up others. If it doesn't build up others, you don't need to say it. Does that make sense? I know you don't like that necessarily, but does it make sense? Because we're not supposed to let anything proceed out of our mouth except that which is good for necessary edification. Only that which is good for necessary edification. Are my words necessary? You know, in our marriages, if we will only say that which is necessary to build up, we're not going to have any of this tearing down business. And by the way, you know that the per people who are closest to you have the, the, the most uh, 
in, um, powerful instruments to hurt us. And they, they know us so well that they can say words that are absolutely true that kill us, crush us, destroy us. Do you realize that grace is sometimes not saying that thing? I, I'll give you the example that I gave at 8 o'clock. It is not necessary for the women in my house to tell me how bad I am at putting the toilet seat down. It's just not necessary anymore. I know I'm a failure at the toilet seat business. <laughs> Is that a little much? Is that too much? Yeah, yeah. I, I'm getting a yes. That was too much. All right, all right. I won't say that again, except at 11. All right, so anyway. Uh, but are our words necessary? And then finally, are our words gracious? I tried to think of a category that would encompass a lot of these uh, different descriptions in Proverbs, especially about the type of words that are acceptable to God. And gracious just seemed to fit the best. Um, in, in Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 through 7 is a great passage that helps us understand how to talk to, one of, how to, talk to our spouses, especially or how to talk to our, in our relationships in, in seasons of conflict. That's what Proverbs 15, 1 through 7 is all about, how to talk to each other in conflict. Now, we're going to have conflict. But in the midst of the conflict, our words need to be gracious. We don't need to have a sword fight with our tongues. Our words need to be gracious. Gracious words uh, look like this. Proverbs chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. A soft answer turns away wrath. But a harsh word... A soft answer turns, turns away wrath, but a soft, uh, a, a soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. The tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but mouths of fools pours out folly. Our words need to be gracious. A soft answer. Again, my house, growing up, uh, there was no such thing as a soft answer. Everything was loud, the loudest one in an argument. But as God in His grace... Um, gave me all these women in my life, uh, I realized that I'd been doing it wrong. And they taught me that it's a soft answer that leads us to edification and building up. Gracious words are a soft answer. Not only are they gracious in that they're a soft answer in the midst of conflict, but they're also gentle. You see, gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Proverbs 16, verse 24. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. You know, that's my deep desire. My words would be sweetness to the soul and wholeness to the body. That my words would nourish the soul of my spouse. That my, my words would be sweet to her ears. Gracious words. Grace-giving words. So as we, as we conclude today, and as we're about to leave, 
A lot of teaching going on right now, and I, I hope you understand that. So because of the nature of what we're doing, we're, we're just going to end like this because it's also 1043. Um, but uh, as we leave, I want you to think in these terms. Are my words life-giving or death-dealing? Before you say what you want to say, before you speak those things that you got in your head, ask yourself, are my words rotten or are they building up? And if we will do this work, I believe that it will lead to a revolution, especially in our marriages. It will lead to a revolution in our relationships. See, if we speak to our children so that we are only speaking building up words, and not rotten words, do you know what kind of difference it'll make in their lives? Even their future? You know what kind of difference that makes in a church when we only speak words that are good for necessary edification, imparting grace to the hearer? What a difference that makes? So today, the question is, are my words rotten? Are they building up? So don't say it. Get, do the test before you speak the words. And I believe that God will lead, use that discipline to bring a revolution in your relationships so that we can say with the psalmist, let the, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer.